Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Priya David Clemens in for Alexis Madrigal. Women start roughly two out of five businesses in America, but have been mostly shut out of the venture capital ecosphere. Companies founded solely by women secured just 2.1% of venture capital funding in the United States last year. According to research firm PitchBook, the percentage hasn't budged much in the past 15 years, despite women creating more startups, incubators, and venture funds. Women founders say there are still major disparities in how venture capitalists evaluate companies based on gender. We'll talk about what this trend means for entrepreneurs and our economy. That's all coming up next, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens in for Alexis Madrigal. Silicon Valley is full of tales of brilliant company founders, the ones who turned a simple idea into a booming enterprise with hard work, dedication, and, of course, money. Most of these stories are about men. Venture capital is credited as the spark that turned Silicon Valley into a powerhouse of innovation, wealth, and economic growth. Last year, venture funds poured $241 billion into companies in the U.S. Of that pie, companies founded solely by women only pulled in 2.1%. So what will it take for women to gain more access to venture funding? And what are the rest of us missing out on because of the disparity? Here to dig into the data and what it all means are, first, Maura O'Neill, a distinguished teaching fellow of entrepreneurship and innovation at the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley and the founder of the Decade Project, an organization dedicated to making business ownership reflect the race, gender, and ethnicity of the United States. Maura, thanks for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. And thanks for doing the, taking on this topic. Absolutely. So important. And Jeremy Owens is also joining us now, technology editor and San Francisco Bureau Chief of Market Watch. Jeremy, thank you for being on the line. Thanks for having me, Priya. Maura, let's start with you. We're here in the Bay Area, you know, arguably a center of the venture capital universe. Tell us about this data and how female co-founders are faring when it comes to securing venture capital funding. I think that, you know, we read the headlines and occasionally we'll see amazing women um, get a lot of attention and we think, well, the playing field is changing. But I'm sadly here to say that it's not changing. And in fact, uh, it got up a little bit and then it got worse. So um, as you said in the opening, women founders received only a 2% of venture capital. Um, and that's the lowest since 2016. So we're clearly going in the wrong direction, despite the fact that uh, we have the most awesome set of uh, potential entrepreneurs out there sitting on the sidelines 
minds, um, potentially with a cure for a loved one uh, of yours or mine that's locked in the lab, or an idea that could really catapult the U.S. to even greater leadership globally. You know, Maura, we do hear about women growing in business. We hear about them taking on more positions in executive management. We hear about them coming onto boards. There are laws in California that require that we have more women on boards. And yet, as you're saying and pointing out, this number of um, of women who are being funded through venture capital has been kind of stuck for a very long time. I mean, 15 years, we've seen really no change. Why is that? What's happening here? Well, I think a couple things that are happening. One, at the end of the day, it's decision makers. And, you know, diversity... Um, is important in the broadest sense. It's what has made America great over the last few hundred years. And female VC partners account for less than 5% of all venture partners in the U.S. So there's just less representation of women and people of color at the decision-making table. And that's really noticeable. I think in particular, 64% of venture capital firms with over 25 million have no female founders at all. So So I think that we have a very long way to go, both by representation and then what the research says that with the identical scripts that a man reads uh, to pitch VCs or a woman reads, the woman is asked all the downside questions, all the risks, what's happening um, and uh, and what could go wrong. Whereas when the a male gives the exact same pitch, he is asked about all the opportunity and upside. So if you immediately see with people who don't look like uh, you, um, you think, well, maybe it's a more risky decision. So I think both of those, how we actually are drawn to people that uh, are like us, went to the same schools, um, think about the same topics we think about, and who's making the decisions. Those are two important factors that are getting in the way of uh, of awesome women getting the uh, venture capital <coughs> they deserve. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy, let me bring you in here. You are the sole male representative on the call today, but I know you're an ally. We have talked about this many times before that you are also concerned about the lack of funding for women in this space. Could you broaden us out for a second here and just share with us what you think our listeners need to understand about how venture capital works and its role in the economy? Well, especially for Silicon Valley and and the tech ecosystem, it is crucial as, as the genesis of the cycle. Right. Venture capitalists come in and they fund a, a range of companies um, and, and they expect many of them to fail so that they can fund the ones that actually get to initial public offering stage that grow into the merger and acquisition candidates for the larger tech companies and continue this cycle. The Bay Area has for decades been number one on the list of, of regions receiving venture capital. And that's why the Silicon Valley tech ecosystem has continued to produce new companies that go public and generate billions upon billions of dollars and also get acquired by larger tech companies and keep those tech companies relevant, keep those tech companies fresh and and uh, worthwhile for investors. But that the VC industry is male dominated. And that's part of the problem here that we have to talk about both the VC industry and the tech industry. Uh, Roughly about a quarter of of investment professionals within the VC industry, according to their own lobbying organization, the National Venture Capital Association, are women. 
And, and, you know, 26% of the investment professionals are women. That's roughly, you know, when you look at the number of, of investments for mixed gender and women only founders, that's right about in line with that. And that's actually up a lot. It was 15% in 2016. So we, we've seen that. And in the tech industry itself, we see roughly the same number in senior leadership of tech companies in the, in the Silicon Valley and elsewhere, right? About 26.5% of women uh, are senior leaders in the tech industry. So you've got a VC industry that is male dominated looking to fund tech companies and the tech industry itself is male dominated. And until those dynamics change, it's going to be very hard to see a lot of change in, in the way that uh, the new companies are founded and who gets that founding money. Mm-hmm. Maura, would you speak to any of the larger consequences you see of women not being able to get funded? What are the implications here? I think the implications are really nothing short of um, economic uh, uh, concern for the U.S. Uh, and I'll give you an example. So uh, Renee James was the president of Intel. She was on every single list um, globally of the most powerful, most influential women. She decided that she had an idea um, that, uh, among other things, uh, chips ought to be more energy efficient, um, really ahead of her time. She broke off and um, went to start a company, Amphir. She talked to every single VC on Silicon Valley Road because she got an entree. And guess what, Priya? How many actually funded her? That would be a big zero. Hmm. And she had this is somebody who has the best credentials in the world, you know, because a lot of people say, well, if I could only find that perfect woman to fund, I would actually fund her. The perfect woman showed up and the VCs um, passed on her. And so the issue is, um, you know, uh, she prevailed uh, and got um private equity money. Larry Ellison came in. Oracle came in. They're big supporters of uh, of her. But in part, she sat on the Oracle board. So she had that entree. The issue is what about that next tier of women that don't, that have the next big thing? And then lastly, it's about cures for our loved ones. So it was an African-American woman who did the science to bring the Moderna vaccine um, to market. And we have to ask ourselves, how many other diseases or big um, tech changes and uh, and movements are we not um, grabbing because we're leaving half the population on the sidelines? Yeah, Jeremy, would you comment on that as well? You've spoken about how there's sort of a progression, a pathway for women founders where they might first be an executive at a company and then, uh, you know, maybe as part of that, they join a board. But at some point, they then become a startup founder because they've gone through that experience. Yeah, and that's where you're trying to encourage that as as VCs, they should be trying to encourage that. But these kind of numbers that we're talking about here discourage that kind of move. If you're now a, a woman who has thought through and, and done 10, 20, 25 years, as Renee James did at, at a company, um, to, to get to that senior leadership position that is so rare for a woman, do you really want to then turn around and try to start a new company? That, that's a very hard thing. You're starting back at zero. 
right? Renee could have just taken that board seat at Oracle, added a few more board seats to it, done some consulting work, maybe even tried to get into venture capital herself. And, and that's the route a lot of women are going to take after fighting that fight for 10, 20, 30 years that they have to fight to get up to that senior leadership level at, at a large tech company like Intel. Um, and, and, you know, it takes the venture capital industry really encouraging women and showing that they're willing to uh, fund them to get them to take that leap after they've done so much to get to that level in a tech industry that is not warm to them. And, and those are the kind of hurdles that you're going to have with the VC industry and the tech industry set up as it is right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, coming up after the break, we are going to be speaking with two founders and uh, about also venture capital funding as women as well and bringing more women into the ecosphere. Uh, Latticetti and Catherine Berman are going to be joining us afterwards. Um, For now, let's talk a little bit about what we'd like to hear from you coming up. Are you a female founder? What do you have in your background that you've had these experiences? Uh, What was your experience like, perhaps, trying to raise venture capital? Or do you have experience working in venture capital? What kind of gender bias did you observe? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Or you can email your comments and questions For us here at forum at kqed.org, you can also find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens in for Alexis Madrigal. We will be right back with more Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens in for Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about why female entrepreneurs secure very little venture capital funding. Joining us now are Lata Seti, the first founding limited partner and limited partner advisory committee member of How v- Women Invest. Lata, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Priya. 
And Catherine Berman, the co-founder and CEO of CNote. CNote is a fintech company that helps corporations and foundations invest capital into underserved communities at scale. Kat or Catherine, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Priya. All right. Lata, let's start with you. Tell us about how you uh, came along this journey. You founded a couple of tech firms early on, and you had experience in going after VC funding at that time. That's right. I was in corporate America working as a trial attorney in patent litigation in New York and wanted to be in the space of changing the legal industry from its traditional billable hourly rate that's been around for hundreds of years and to be leaders in digital transformation in this space. So both my companies were modernizing and bringing technology and tools to the legal industry, primarily corporate uh, global legal departments. And tell me about what your experience was like as you went after venture funding alongside your male co-founders. Yes, uh, both the companies I've involved in co-founding were funded out of Silicon Valley. And our initial rounds of funding came from Sequoia Capital, Goldman Sachs, Kane and Partners, all the big boys, the traditional VCs in the Valley. And I noticed a perceptible difference in during our pitches and our presentations during the due diligence process. The questions that I was asked were very different and positioned in a way to really put me more on the um, risk management and defensive um, mode versus my male co-founders were asked questions that were leaning towards more expansive growth potential, scalability, what was the potential of the company. And this continued throughout the several years it took to raise our initial seed round and then the venture financing. So that's when it really dawned on me the difference in how female and male founders are treated by the traditional venture capital world. Uh, Catherine Berman, you have been on the receiving end of VC funding. You are one of that very small percent, that fraction of 2% of female-led uh, companies that received funding last year with CNOTE. Tell us about your experience in pitching and receiving funding. Absolutely. Um, so really quickly, you know, my background actually was in traditional finance. I was in financial services prior to starting CNOTE. Um, and the origin story really quickly was while I was working in, trad in traditional financial services, I saw that we were really at an inflection point in history on two fronts. Number one, we were seeing this wealth gap turn into a wealth chasm in the United States. The average white family's net worth was at least 10 times that of the average black family. And so this wealth gap had, had truly turned into a wealth chasm. Hmm. And at the same time, you know, working in financial services, I also observed that there was a rise in socially responsible investing, um, whether you call it impact investing or ESG investing. We are seeing a lot of individuals and institutions want to align their investments with their values. And so what I realized was if you wanted to do that, either personally or as an entity, it was pretty easy to do as it related to the stock market. You could certainly pick stocks or indexes or funds that aligned with your values. But there wasn't really an opportunity to do that with your cash and fixed income. There was just a major gap in innovation. And the aha moment was 
realizing that if each individual, each corporation, each foundation took a portion, even just a portion of their cash and put it to work in community finance, we could dramatically address the racial wealth gap in the United States. And so I got really excited to work on this issue. I brought in and joined a wonderful um, co-founder and friend, Yulia Tarasova, on this journey. And this is really how we started CNOTE. And this idea of using your cash for good, right, your deposits, you know, um, it can sound really intuitive, right? Well, if I'm aligning part of my investments with my values, why wouldn't I align my cash? But in practice, it's actually really hard to do. Um, it can be really complicated because most most folks want to make sure it's FDIC insured, right? Fully covered by the government. Most folks want competitive returns. And then, of course, there's the authenticity of how do I know it's actually going to work for good? How do I know it's actually driving financial inclusion? And so my co-founder and I quickly learned that this was not an asset management play. This was the technology play. This was really going to require significant capital investment, significant rails to build on the fintech side if we were going to unlock this massive opportunity to move cash for good and really address um, the racial wealth gap. And so as you went out looking for that money, how did your gender play into that? Yeah. So we did our first, you know, like most folks pursuing venture capital or some type of, you know, outside money, we went after a seed round um, early uh, and then went out for, um, you know, and that was really when we went out for the traditional kind of venture funding. Uh, and I will say it was challenging. Our seed round, which we did in 2020, uh, was akin to a lot of the stories. I think many of the folks listening here, uh, it was, you know, pitching a lot of folks. Um, it was a lot of you're too early. Um, it was a lot of not sure you can do that. Um, and and really just having to prove ourselves out, you know, how large is the market and that we could actually achieve what we set out to achieve. So I'd say we were up against a lot of those challenges that, you know, research has shown, whether it's the type of questions that were asked or the type of audiences we were given. We are talking today on KQED Forum about women founders and access to capital. If you're a founder of a company who is a female, we're curious about what barriers you've faced and what your experience has been like raising venture capital. Also, do you have experience working in venture capital? What do you think keeps the gender bias going? You can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. We do have a call in now. Uh, Coming in, we've got O from San Jose. O, thank you for calling. Hi, thank you for having me on. Um, nice to hear um, you guys discussing um, an important issue in um, female um, uh, fundraising. Um, I am myself is a uh, founder of a startup called the Ozone, and we do, you know, um, AR and VR and, and metaverses. And I found that, you know, uh, in my own fundraising process, that at this point, you know, when they, you know, they, when they talk about fundraising, they talk about women who are, you know, in, in no business, in business. And me found myself as an inventor to be of a minority, that we felt that female inventor are really not even talked about. Because, you know, you know we, we are hold to the, you know, when we raise funding, they hold to the fact of traction. Right, I, I could never dream of invent something like a Tesla or a SpaceX because you know we we can't you know raise those kind of funding that is you know 15 year away of of, of product market fit. 
That's my comment. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate you calling in. Maura, let me ask you about this question of even the categories that women founders feel they can step into and the sorts of money that they have access to, if any at all. Uh, How are those realms limited to women in terms of what they even try to pursue? I think what's really sad about it is, you know, here we talked about Renee James, uh, a real pioneer and uh, um, in uh, high tech and um, the woman who did the Moderna vaccine. And yet most of the most of the time, the venture capital is going to women founders who are in fashion or in um children's products or maybe in women's health care, but that's actually been even a hard road for a lot of women founders. And so sadly, and it's true for all of us, we are hardwired to be narrow-minded when we pop out of our mom's womb because we're trying to decide, Priya, whether you're going to kill me or whether you're going to be my my friend. And so we tend to just naturally gravitate to people that are like us. So we look at women and we think, oh, fashion and beauty and maybe children. We don't think about hardcore tech or um, uh, biotech, et cetera. And we're just missing a lot. I mean, you know, it started a long time ago. Hedy Lamar was a very famous actress in the 40s, was in World War II, understood that there was a problem with getting uh, messages to our troops. And um, she and another colleague in the evening um developed a patent that became the fundamental thing for Wi-Fi. And so I think what's sad about it is that um, for all the Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and they are extraordinary entrepreneurs, creative, we know that there are women and people of color out there um, that if we just gave them more money and more opportunity, that doesn't mean all of us would uh, would um, succeed. You know, I think the tragedy of... Uh, of um, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, as we said, oh, see what happens when you give women a lot of money, they blow it. And so I just think we need to understand that it's a numbers game and that not all women, just like all men, are not going to succeed. But great ideas come from all different places. And there was no reason why Elon Musk's background would make him a trailblazer in the car and auto industry. And yet he did that. And what we want to know is where are the Eleanors that can do the same thing? And let's figure out a way to break our own narrow-mindedness and bet on these women. Hmm. Let's go now to uh, caller Habib, who's calling in from Hollister. Habib, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, my question is to the gentleman. I apologize. I don't remember his name but he was doing all kinds of statistics, is how many venture capitalists, women who were funded, and they left the business to pursue other important uh, uh, careers in their own mind, instead of following up on it, like raising a family or doing something entirely. How many percentage was that? As a venture capitalist, I would like to know that. All right, Habib, thank you for calling in. And, you know, that's a question that I think is one of the concerns that women often get when they are going out to pitch for VC funding. The concern is, hey, what if you have a family? Not a question that men are often asked. Before we get to Jeremy, and Jeremy, I'll give you a moment to weigh in here on this. Let's go to Kat. Kat, you also have uh, kids and you have many friends who are 
working on raising money. You also have friends who are in the venture capital space. Where do you hear this concern about family coming in? And is it a concern to you? Yeah, I'll tell you um, early on and, and, you know, having having seen this venture world um, progress over the last, you know, decade, um, where I was always the one woman in the room to now there's a handful of us in the room um, as founders or as as venture funders. I think that question uh, was asked and was asked uh, much more much uh, more frequently in years gone by. Um, I'm delighted to share in my both my seed round and my seri- Series A, no such question was even slightly broached. Um, and again, <laughs> as you shared, I, I have two young kids. I have a wonderful husband, um, but I'm also a career woman. And so I think the good news is we've at least seen <laughs> some progress in terms of what um, what questions are acceptable. I do think this idea of the performance questions, um, you know, the, the the promotion questions, is still rings true, right? The idea that oftentimes I would get questions around risk mitigation versus what's the potential of the company. And the best advice I got that I would really invite all the entrepreneurs in the call to follow is you answer the questions you want to answer. So even if you don't get asked the question of how big can this get, what type of exit do you think you'll get? You know, how 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 many clients, right, do you think or how many segments do you think you can go after after you go after this first one? You answer those questions, even if they weren't asked. So, again, I think it's an opportunity for us as women to own our narrative as opposed to wait for the questions, which I believe we did in the past. Uh, and Lata, I believe we have you back now. Yes, I can jump in real quick. You know, since my fundraising and launching the two companies I was involved in was over 14, 15 years ago, there were a lot of questions to do with my toddler son. And it's also, you know, what are my plans to expanding my family, raising my kids? Will I be able to put in the kind of hours and effort needed to be a startup founder? And Kat, it makes me really happy that those questions were not um, uh, raised when you were fundraising more recently. So it's good to see those changes are taking place. Um, I also wanted to mention to the um, uh, several people who were talking about the patents and inventors of female, um, uh, you know, patent holders. Um, as a former patent attorney myself, we have done a lot of different things to change that. Uh, dialogue, including providing um, pro bono patenting solutions to female founders, female inventors through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And I belong to an organization called CHIPS that is trying to encourage more women to not only become patent attorneys, but to help on a pro bono basis to patent female founders' inventions to change that demographic and number. Mm. Thank you, Lata. And Kat, Mora, I'd like to bring you in here as well uh, as another mother. Yeah, well, I'm thrilled that, uh, Kat, you found that it's ass less. I remember I was being interviewed to the CEO of a um, a founding um, company that was venture-backed. And I was literally asked um, when the interviewer saw that I had um, kids or heard that I had kids, said, are you a terrible mother and therefore have what it takes to um, um, run a 
high uh, high growth startup or are you not a good mother and therefore willing to put in the time and as um lata said i think and cat um, most men never get that question and mm-hmm. so it's just disappointing but i'm thrilled to hear cat say that it is happening less absolutely i'm sorry to hear about that story but thank you for sharing it uh let's go to a couple of comments that we've gotten in now a listener has tweeted a couple of them about Elizabeth Holmes, not surprisingly. One has written in asking, what was it that made so many invest in Elizabeth Holmes? Seems like the flip side of the same misogyny, young white blonde lady that old dudes wanted to, quote, know. And Hakeem writes, do people like Elizabeth Holmes make the situation worse by serving as a justification for why venture capital firms do not fund women? Jeremy, if we have you back now, would love to hear any thoughts you have about this. Sure. Thanks for giving me the time to kind of dig through these numbers, Priya, and answer Habib's question. The only thing that the NBCA really says is that 39% of VC uh, of women who work in VC firms have dependent children or care for adults. And that's actually a lower percentage than men in VC firms who are at 49%. And the NBCA kind of admits that, you know, women who have children may not feel comfortable going into the industry because of the the lack of work-life balance and suggests that venture capital firms find programs that can help that. Uh, There is nothing really on on founders they seek to fund and and how, you know, they handle that. But they they do admit that they seek women, that, that the women they hire tend to be um, not mothers yeah. at, at a greater percentage than the, the the going rate in society. All right, Jeremy, thank you so much. We are talking this morning about the lack of venture funding for women entrepreneurs. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you have experience working in venture capital. What do you think is going to make it easier for more women founders to secure venture capital funding? And what impact will that have on us as a society? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens in for Alexis Madrigal. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about why female entrepreneurs secure very little capital funding with Lata Seti, the first founding limited partner and limited partner advisory committee member of How Women Invest. Catherine Berman, the co-founder and CEO of CNote, a fintech company that helps corporations and foundations invest capital into underserved communities at scale. Jeremy Owens, technology editor and a San Francisco bureau chief of Market Watch, and Maura O'Neill, distinguished teaching fellow of entrepreneurship and innovation at the Haas School of Business in Berkeley, as well as the founder of the Decade Project, an organization dedicated to making business ownership reflect the race, gender, and ethnicity of the United States. As we were going into the break, we were talking about a couple of tweets that came in about Elizabeth Holmes, and she is obviously a poster child for a woman entrepreneur who got a lot of funding. That story then, you know, takes a turn and is often seen as this sort of morality tale. And there's a question of like, what is the story here, right? Is this pushing back on women um, because she seems to have been made such an example of? I'm curious if any of you want to share your thoughts about that, but I'm going to start, Mora, with you. Well, I think that um, there, you know, it is a cautionary tale um, that honesty at the end of the day is what's important um, in business and in life and our personal life and our um, elected officials. But I think that we need to understand that uh, she was an outlier. And, um, you know, it's sad that uh, women biotech founders and entrepreneurs uh, had that halo the last decade when they were looking for money. But I just think that we need to move on and say, yes, there is um, people who are dishonest and uh, and we hope that they're held accountable. But I think we need to um, not um, take that as indicative of, well, you can't possibly fund women because look what happens. And, and Maura, do you think you see a double standard there in terms of how women are chastised versus men for bad behavior? I think that anybody who is different is often had uh, held to a um, different standard. I mean, these amazing women founders that you have on today talked about their questions were about the downside, not the upside of their company or, um, uh, um, you know, so I think that it's always going to be a challenge. And that's why I think that we need to put our money where our mouth is as individuals, as stewards and companies. We need to be asking these questions about um, what kinds of, you know, what kinds of people are we funding? What kinds of uh, um, loans our banks are giving uh, to women and people of color? And I just think it's going to change by each and every one of us getting more active and having conversations like this. So we out the fact that the situation is actually getting worse, not better. Mm-hmm. And we are collectively worse off as a country and as a community by leaving that on the sidelines. <laughs> Lata Seti, let me bring you in here. Um, from your perspective, what did you think of the Elizabeth Holmes situation and, and what it said about us as a society? Well, it brought into mind about a decade ago, Sam Waxel, who had um, submitted fraudulent clinical data to the FDA, very similar to what Elizabeth Holmes did. 
And as you may recall, Imclone ended up, um, you know, landing Martha Stewart and her daughter, et cetera, in jail because of that insider trading Mm -hmm. based on false FDA submissions, et cetera. But the point is, you know, we don't talk about, hey, all male inventors submit false data to the FDA to get approval. Why are we holding Elizabeth as a reflection of female founders in general, rather than a bad character at play? And Lata, why don't we turn to um, the other side of this story? Because there are so many success stories as well that we hear, even though it's a small percentage of venture capital funding. One of the pieces of work that you do now is to bring more women into this entire system and bring more women into the world of venture capital funding, teaching them how to do that, um, and then funding women-led companies. Tell us about that side of your work. I would be thrilled to. Um, As we mentioned earlier, women-founded companies bring in 67 cents per dollar, while male founders bring in 35 cents per dollar return on investment to their uh, venture capital investors. And women companies tend to be 10% or more profitable in the course of five years. So they return better revenue. So it's not just the right thing to do, but it's the right business case. And how we are supporting that is by encouraging women professionals and women who have never invested in venture capital to consider becoming venture investors. And how we do that is funds like ours, including how women invest as well as other women-led funds are are um, lowering the minimum amount that you can invest to become a venture investor in a fund like ours. We are encouraging both um, you know, middle-aged as well as younger women to join this movement because funding women investors and funding women founders, they hire six times more women, have greater positive impact on the community. And so we have launched an initiative um, at NASDAQ at their platform in June to mobilize 10,000 first-time female venture investors in funds that are focused on female founders. And what we're doing is, you know, asking you to pledge to invest in our fund or another women-led fund to invite 10 of your friends or your network of contacts to consider becoming investors. And three, starting low, lower amount of dollars to get into the venture funding world. And lastly, we've built a value-based social investing tool where you can come on our website and as a first-time women investor, if you're interested in investing in a fund that focuses on, let's say, Latina founders or LGBTQ, or you're looking at investing in an early stage, or you're interested in a particular domain like health tech or femtech or AI, you can come to our platform on our How Women Lead website and select the kind of funds that you would like to be involved in, not only to vote with your dollars, you know, impacted by your values, but to also increase your network. Because what we have found is when women start investing in venture, 
They will continue to invest in other funds. They'll become angel investors. That's a whole virtuous cycle. And when these companies become successful, those founders come back and then start their own venture funds. So it's a way to really change that 1.9% venture that goes to female founders over the last 15, 20 years. And the way to do that is to raise awareness and let female founders know there is funding out there. And that's why firms like How Women Invest are um, out there in social media, speaking at conferences, et cetera, to um, let founders that are female know that we're there and ready to invest. Yep. Thank you, Lata. And we also have a caller now, Marcy from Marin, who is a VC capital coach. Um, Marcy, share your thoughts with us this morning. Sure. Um, Thanks for having me. I am uh, working as a coach in the venture capital space, as you mentioned, and all the stories I hear through my clients um, on the frustrations they have in getting um, funding when their male counterparts are having much more success than we know that the odds are, you know, not in their favor. But I thought um, on a positive note, I also wanted to mention a couple of places that um, provide services and are dedicated to the mission of creating a more diverse, equitable space for those who are underrepresented in the VC world. And one is the Kaufman. Um, There's a Kaufman Fellowship. It's a two-year program. And they're all about bringing a, you know, building a global community of of diverse uh, investors and and, uh, founders. But another one is Recast Capital. And they have a cohort-based program that brings, um, each cohort's about 20 people and they bring them from soup to nuts on how to create a fund. Um, but along the way, they provide coaching. So it's a, it's a great program, and I just thought I'd mention that. And I imagine there's others. Maybe the speakers know about others that are, that are similar to that, but um, just wanted to put that out there. Marcy, thank you for that. I'll turn to Catherine Berman next. I know you went through an accelerator program. Catherine, what's your advice for female founders who are coming up now? What lessons would you like to share? Yeah, I'd first say uh, you're amazing. I don't think enough kudos is given to those uh, entrepreneurs, those women who take it on to start a company. So my first is gratitude and support and perseverance. So tremendous appreciation for you stepping out there and doing something that is Uh, insanely hard, a tad bit crazy, and so needed, because I do think women innovators will and are changing our world for the better. I'd say my advice really quickly is, you know, number one, there are some great funds out there that are very receptive um, to incredible women founders. Just like the caller said, she mentioned a few, I want to give a shout out to um, two Bay Area ones. So one is called Ostia, A-S-T-I-A, they have been investing in diverse teams before it was in vogue to invest um, appropriately. And also a great ally, which is Commerce Ventures, which is a fintech uh, venture firm, which has really walked the walk. And I think that's a friendly reminder um, for our audience that I do believe to solve this problem, it's going to take both more women investing and more allyship from men. And I have seen, you know, as you shared, Priya, we, we raised uh, a successful A round last year in the thick of this tumultuous economy, and we're oversubscribed. And I attribute that not to C Note being, you know, a, a high growth, exciting company, but also aligning with investors that believe in the mission, believe in our potential. And many of those were both 
women and men. And so finding those male allies, those great VC firms that are truly committed to diversity is key. Um, and lastly, I'd say just in terms of tips, talk to other founders. One of our uh, successful or keys to success was before I started off on my A, was really talking to my other entrepreneur friends, particularly women, and say, who did you meet? Who funded you? What do I need to know? What do I need to know about this environment? What do I need to know about the pace? What do I need to know of who's got dry powder and who'd be interested in this space? And so I think really, you know, deepening your network, talking to your network and getting those introductions is key to accelerating the pace of your round. Mm. Catherine, thank you. Your work is in the social impact space. And a listener has written in saying, I'm hoping venture capitalists and women and men entrepreneurs understand that we cannot carry on business as usual. Global warming is already causing disaster and will increase drastically unless we drastically slow the carbon and methane released. It's an emergency for everyone. Fund those who are helping save the world. And let's go to the phones again. Caller Joanne from San Luis Obispo. You're on the line with us, Joanne. Can you hear me? I yeah, can. I can. Thanks, Joanne. Joe, you want me to repeat my comment? Yes, um, please. That I made. Uh, so I, first off, currently I am continuing to invest in women-backed businesses. I've been a longtime member of Golden Seeds, an angel investment group and fund, as well as a person who participated with Astia. Uh, and I'm also part of Portfolio, which has also invested in women-backed businesses. All this occurred because although I was not a female founder, I was a female CEO who raised $62 million for a tech company back in uh, 2002 and was fired in 2003 by the same VCs. So mm -hmm. I know that uh, only when you get a significant number of women of all kinds of backgrounds uh, who have had experience uh, sort of on both sides of the aisle. Can you really find winning companies, whether they are run by women or men? So. Thank you. And Mahmoud, you are calling in from Hillsborough this morning. You're on the line, Mahmoud. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. So, yes, you know, there's a lot of men out there who would love to help, you know, our women venture capitalists. And so there's one uh, interesting way where I think men can also help, which is, allow uh, men uh, to, uh, for co-founders and founders, men co-founders, to pledge uh, a majority women board or at least an equal women board. Uh, that's another way for men to get involved in making sure that we are supporting, uh, not just looking uh, you know, aside as bystanders as to how women get funded. Mahmoud, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And as we wrap up this hour, I'd love to just do a round robin and hear from each of you. What is one piece of advice or one thought we should keep in mind as we consider this space? And Jeremy, I'm going to start with you. What is one thing that you feel is super important for us to recognize and that can help change where we could go in the future? Hello, Jeremy. And let's move on to Mora. Mora, uh, would you have a thought for us? I think um, the thoughts for um, women entrepreneurs or women that are thinking about starting their own business, be persistent. As Kat said, it's super hard, but you are amazing. And just uh, dust yourself off after one of these rejections and go on to the next. And the last thing I'd say is there's a lot of people listening to this who have the uh, assets and the wherewithal to invest. And I'd say invest in women early and often. All right. And Catherine, let's go to you. 
Yeah, my call to action for the audience is uh, if you are if you have the ability to invest, looking for women GPs. Um, if you're an LP, a limited partner, right, put your money to work very intentionally and make sure that whoever you're investing in, whichever fund, has women as a thesis, has women, and and I would even argue beyond women, has diversity as a thesis mm-hmm. because women women of color have an even harder time raising, and people of color have a tremendously hard time raising, and so. This is a woman issue, but this is a diversity issue. And so let's put our money where our values are and make sure diversity is our investment thesis. And, you know, Kat, I really appreciate you bringing up that point because you're right. The numbers drop even lower if you are a woman of color. And, you know, in all of this reporting, everything that is being reported out is male or female. It doesn't even include people who consider themselves as non-binary. So there is much more diversity here than we're looking at even this morning and that is captured in the reporting. Uh, Lata, could I go to you now for your final thoughts? Yes. um, As a female founder, I would encourage you to come to our website, How Women Invest, and submit your information because we are an open door 100%. We are here to support female founders. So if you are a U.S.-based, technology-driven, science-based, et cetera, startup, please come and uh, talk to us. If you are a female investor or a potentially invested in becoming a limited partner, also come to our How Women Lead website and look at our value-based social impact investing tool to determine what kind of portfolio companies you'd like to invest in based on what interests you. And it could include things such as women of color founders that are female who get less than 0.5% venture investing. It could be diversity like LGBTQ, et cetera. And as a venture firm, join us in making sure we get 10,000 new women investing in venture for the first time in the next 18 months. So uh, persistence, resilience, and call to action is to come and sign up as an investor and or as a founder. All right. Thank you, Lata. Unfortunately, Jeremy's power went out, so we lost him. But we do want to say a big thank you to our guests. We have been talking this hour about why female entrepreneurs continue to secure a little funding uh, in venture capital and what can be done about it. Thank you to our guests, Lata Setti, Catherine Berman, Jeremy Owens, and Maura O'Neill. I'm Priya David Clemens, in for Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, 
always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.